Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for May. <laughs> May all things be good for you, I think, is the way it should be going. Everybody who's stuck inside and wondering what they could be doing by themselves, people who are looking to potentially escape, escape out into the unknown, escape into different places, escape within their mind, wherever you're wanting to go. Sometimes everything that you want to escape, you don't even have to do very much to take a step into somewhere else. In fact, sometimes all you need to do is to have a little box that opens up that contains puzzles, that contains conundrums, that contains kind of a journey into a different place, something that's going to meld your brain, maybe even warp your mind a little bit. Are you curious yet? Are you post-curious yet? Because if you are post-curious, maybe you're a Maybe you're Rita Orloff from Post Curious. Um, so, hello. How are hello. you? Hello. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you, Richard? Um, yeah, I'm fine. I'm a I'm a nine point seven, I think, at the moment because it's been uh, it's been a busy, but it's been a productive day. It's been one of those days where I can sit back and relax and say, I actually I achieved something today. So that is that is pretty good. Um, the I know I was trying to confuse people with the intro. I wasn't trying to confuse people with the intro because we're here to talk about. Um, you've got a campaign coming to Kickstarter at the roughly in about just under ten days. Is it something like that? And about uh, a week's it's going to be on the twenty seventh. The twenty seventh, and it's the the Emerald Flame, yes. which is the name of the okay, the which name the, um, the name of the game, which is kind of like you've described it as a kind of like a self-contained escape room puzzle narrative wonder I think (laughs) Uh, something like that so I mean I like to describe my games as a meeting point between escape rooms board games and interactive fiction Um, and the escape room connection is really that the puzzles are sort of escape room like um, Mm -hmm. but the games themselves are not I wouldn't say that they're an escape room because it just has a different setup. You're not escaping anything. Um, and they have a bit more of a narrative element than most escape room games. Have have you always kind of had an, like an interest in this side of the genre? I mean, did, did you get into tabletop, the kind of the normal, traditional kind of manner? You know, got dealt with, got dealt some katana at a party and then, you know... Uh, well, I, I, definitely, I definitely played some board games growing up and stuff, but it wasn't until maybe two years ago where a friend mm. of mine introduced me to some newer games, and then I sort of became 
you know, realize that there's this whole board game renaissance that just happened and there's mm-hmm. so many wonderful games that are out there now. So that really changed my relationship to the hobby because I started playing a lot more things and mm-hmm. being introduced to more games that are out now, which I think are far more interesting than um, a lot of the things that I knew about before. Because you started off, but only two years. I mean, that's because I mean, this isn't your first game because you did the Tale of Ord. Yeah, well, I was, this. I was definitely more into puzzles than I was specifically into board games. So mm-hmm. uh, Post Curious grew out of my background uh, in escape rooms, both uh, working in designing them, but also in playing many, many of them. So I, I didn't really think of it as a board game when I started designing Tale of Ward. I thought of it more mm. as like a narrative puzzle experience. Um, but at the time, as I was getting into board games more, I started thinking about how these games are sort of an intersection between the two. Have you always been kind of like um, puzzle orientated then? Have you always kind of like preferred a puzzle as you were growing up, kind of thing. You like the person that, you know, I got a Rubik's Cube, I got a Rubik's Magic, I got, you know, these wooden puzzles, the metal puzzles at Christmas. You know the ones you get used to getting a Christmas cracker? You know, the <laughs> two funny. metal I've, things I've that used to link those... together? Yeah, yeah. I think you're talking about, like, tavern puzzles, like the big yeah, yeah. metal things. Yeah. Um, well, I'm terrible at Rubik's Cubes, I'll be honest. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> but I think, I think physical puzzles are very different in a way well not very different but they're definitely different from the sort of mental puzzles that you're encountering in these kinds of games um Mm -hmm. and i do enjoy mechanical puzzles but i think it's it's definitely a very different way of thinking and manipulating and designing so are you a more kind of like a paper puzzle kind of word search logic type of puzzle person um, I really like up. logic puzzles, and I mean, I used to play like a lot of Sudoku and stuff. But uh, uh-huh. once, once, uh, once I started using a computer, I discovered a lot of uh, computer puzzle games. So I played a lot of like point and click adventures, um, mm-hmm. and like the very original, uh, es- like Flash Escape the Room games, like the Crimson Room and things like that, mm-hmm. which were the initial inspiration for the real life escape rooms. So, because I mean, I know that you could you can pretty much play tabletop most of your life, and you can never you could never have to worry about encountering a kind of a puzzle based kind of experience. I mean, usually it is a case of you're managing resources, or you're taking out your enemies, or you're kind of looking to amass um, an engine that kind of works. If you're like playing something like terraforming Mars, mm-hmm. so. What did that? Did you did for you kind of approaching the kind of the kind of the escape puzzle side of things? Did you always have ideas of thinking? Well, did you notice? Did you always have ideas of maybe this is kind of creating yourself? I mean, how do you go from like just kind of enjoying these puzzles to actually sitting down and going, I'm going to kind of create one myself? Um, well, when I worked at an escape room, I did some of the puzzle design for the new games that we were working on so that was really how I got started before that I mostly Mm -hmm. just solved uh puzzles so that was my first foray into designing them and after I left that escape room I 
really wanted to continue designing puzzles, but I wasn't mm -hmm. going to go open my own escape room. So it seemed yeah. like the what I could do sort of on my own, on my own time and space uh, would be to create a puzzle tabletop game. And at the time, I had played a couple games that were similar, um, but there really wasn't a lot of that out there at the time. And of course, mm -hmm. these have sort of blown up over the past few years, so now there's a ton of them out there. Um, but it, it was definitely a more scarce and sort of niche thing when I started designing it. Yeah, it's become a it's become a little kind of genre in itself, but it's kind of more focused on the almost like the party side of it. I mean, a lot of the unlock games seem to be they're very very cheap. Sorry, inexpensive, cheap, something else. They're very very inexpensive. Mm -hmm. um, there's something that you would have, at, you know, once you've had friends round for like a dinner party or something, you know, a meal together or something, you know, or or the the relatives have come round, and everybody would sit down and you know if somebody decided to play you play a board game or tabletop game, then you'd bring out a copy of Unlock and then everybody would sit down. You'd wreck the cards, you'd write on everything, you'd tear up, and then you chuck it away and it was only going to cost you like, you know, 10 to $15 to kind of play it. So that, that kind of genre has kind of come along. But from what I saw about like, say the Tales of Ord, you really kind of ramp that up to almost make it like a luxury type game that it was very much more complicated and people really had to get themselves kind of invested to. And it wasn't necessarily something that you would sit down with a rep, you know, necessarily sit down with, you know, Aunt May and have her kind of working through the puzzle with you. Was that was that the kind of the the idea to kind of try and ramp up ramp up the involvement with the game to make it a little bit more kind of involved and even more kind of a bit more of a brain a brain burner then? Um yeah, in a way. I mean I think even these sort of boxed puzzle games have several different subgenres which you know mm -hmm. not maybe not everybody knows about but you know there are games like unlock and exit and there's like escape room mm -hmm. in a box and mm -hmm. then there are also subscription games and then there are one-off games like tale of ward which are sort of bigger and maybe a little more Mm, how to say like <laughs> boutique in their style um, yeah, no, no, yeah. so my my intention was to create something that had like a bigger a bigger narrative and definitely more challenging puzzles um at the time when i started designing it i played one thing that had just narrative and no puzzles and something that had and two things that had very little narrative but a lot of puzzles, but one of them felt mm. super hard to me and one of them felt super easy to me. So mm -hmm. I was really trying to make the kind of game that I wanted to play, which was, you know, having some kind of deep story and being pretty challenging, but without being so challenging that it burns your brain to the point where <laughs> you just don't <laughs> want to keep going anymore. Um, and some of that has changed a little bit for my new game, The Emerald Flame, uh, it's not quite as challenging as Tale of Ward, um, but with Tale of Ward was it's it was a pretty much handmade game, 
and I made yeah. only 500 copies of it. And part of wow. the, yeah, and it, it was also very high cost for those reasons. And everything was like sourced locally. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't have somebody else manufactured. It. it was just me like assembling all of these packages for people. Wow. Um, so it kind of had to be limited because I was going to be doing it myself. But also when I first started it, I didn't know really how much interest there would be. So it was kind of a gamble to even make 500 because I was like, well, I think 500 people will probably want to play this game. But, you know, who knows if if they'll go or not. What was it like kind of then marketing the game? Because... <sighs> Normally, I mean, for specific genres of games, I know that if you're talking about like the next worker placement game or the next 4X game or, you know, the next resource management game, there's a group of people who are usually chomping at the bit to kind of play a game like that. With Did you find there was a community that you could go and bounce ideas off and chat about that were kind of interested in in kind of providing advice or providing feedback when you were putting together, say, like, the, the Tale of Order? Were you were you kind of completely kind of solo flying it when you were creating it? Um, I wouldn't say that I was totally solo flying it, but I think there was more... I think I was able to make more connections to people through maybe the latter half of the process. Um, mm. And I did find a community of people who are like mystery box enthusiasts. So they yeah. were interested in that. And then there's also the escape room community. Um, and I mean, some people in the escape room community like tabletop games. Some of them are not so into it, but out of, yeah. out of the ones who are interested in it, that's, that was definitely a big part of my audience as well. So um, a lot of my play testers were fellow escape room enthusiasts. Were you were you able to take some of the stuff that you'd applied when you were designing the escape rooms and kind of almost shrink them down so that they would work, you know, in, in either of the games that you've made? Um, I don't know if I would call it shrinking them down. I think it was, you know, designing for a tabletop is just a bit different than designing mm -hmm. for an in-person room. Um, yeah. but I was definitely able to take the lessons from designing escape rooms into the tabletop sphere because I watched many, many, you know, probably hundreds of groups play, yeah. uh, escape room games. So, and, and of course from playing it myself, I'm always thinking as a designer and a critic and, you know, I might encounter a game where, you know. A, B, and C was good, but I'm like, if they just changed this one little detail, it would be so perfect. So I'm always yeah. thinking about like user interaction and what sort of cues you're giving to players and what confuses players, what doesn't confuse players. How do you communicate clearly uh, what they're supposed to be doing and things like that. So where where are you with the Tale of Ord? just now then is that have you still got copies left is that still available or is that you know have you kind of packed them away so that you can sell them at a huge price <laughs> um <laughs> i've got i've got three personal copies left i would say um, wow so maybe somebody will receive one of those at some point but essentially mm. they're 
sold out. Um, and recently I've been getting a lot of people asking, uh, is there going to be a reprint? Uh, yeah. which is like a really daunting idea to think about because it was such a complicated game to put together that it was honestly yeah. kind of a relief when I was finished, um, <laughs> distributing them because it was just so much work. Uh, so I think if there ever was to be a reprint, it would probably mean not me doing it myself. And that yeah. would mean redesigning a lot of the game because some of it would kind of be impossible to get anyone else to produce because it's just it's just so stupid complicated. Um, <laughs> so I that that is something that might happen in the future. But I've got some other projects uh, that I'm really excited about on the docket that are I'm going to be working on after the Emerald Flame Kickstarter is done. So. Trying, trying to move forward for the moment. Is there like um, are there companies that you would approach if you know if you were looking to kind of work at the, as a designer and, and and doing the type of games that you do? Are there companies that you would kind of be able to approach with this kind of genre and style of game? I mean, let's face. It, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is if if say the Emerald Flame did absolute gangbusters and did really, really well. Is there a chance that a publisher could come along and kind of sign it, sign it up? Or is it kind of, is it too kind of eclectic that it might not fit in with a portfolio? It's unique and brilliant enough to kind of have to be by itself. You can see somebody like maybe Pandasaurus or somebody like that try to sign it. I mean, I think it's hard to say. It really depends on, like, who's the company? What do they want to do with it? Yeah. Um, am I going to be able to retain creative control? Um, things like that. So I, I think it really depends on, like, what the offer is and who it is. I hadn't really thought too much about um, publishing with others just because, I mean, for one thing, it's kind of niche and also i just wanted yeah. to grow post curious so i wanted to you know be trying to self-publish things so that i can make some leaps forward in that respect okay okay um how do you go about the design process then i mean are, are you do you have like a notebook full of ideas and do you like wake up at half four in the morning and, and kind of go oh it's blah 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 and then you know, are you quite a are you quite an organized person, or are you kind of like a post-it note type person? Do you have kind of like little scraps on little notes on pieces of paper, kind of everywhere, and then you just kind of collate it together and then see what kind of works and what doesn't work? Um, I'm a pretty organized person. I would I do have a notebook, uh, but mm. most of my stuff ends up living in Google Docs and like. Google spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. I do make a lot of spreadsheets, <laughs> even <laughs> for just putting games together. Um, yeah. Yeah. My notebook gets a little bit less traffic now that I'm stuck at home and not commuting. So mm -hmm. usually I'm just typing things on the computer, but I definitely have a lot of 3 a.m. thoughts as I'm falling asleep <laughs> and have to grab my phone and write things down. Um, but my process, well, at least for Tale of Ward and for Emerald Flame, uh, because they're sort of based, uh, well, Emerald Flame has some 
historical bases and Taylor Ward mm. is uh, really heavily inspired by Norse mythology. So for both yeah. of these games, I started out by doing a lot of research on the subject matter um, as I was starting to put together the story and figure out how the puzzles were going to fit into the story. So, yeah. I mean, I'm usually working on all these things simultaneously and just sort of making like story notes and puzzle notes and then starting to prototype the puzzles and doing um, sort of... I do like early puzzle tests to sort of make sure that the mechanic of the puzzle works on its own before yeah, yeah. I really put the whole thing together and test it as an actual game. Uh, but it takes a good while before I even get to that point because my story usually gets <laughs> reworked like <laughs> three times over before I'm satisfied with it. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good summary of the process. Do you have to put yourself into a different type of mindset in order to develop different types of puzzles? Because I know, because I'm aware that, again, going back to your kind of what you would say your more mainstream type games, that I can tell like a Jamie Stegmaier game from a mile off in the way that in the way that it's kind of kind of done, you know, the same with like even like say John Gilmore to a little bit of extent, Ryan Akinetsi and everything like that. But I'm taking like puzzles as do you have to kind of like say, well, let's do it this way, but then let's put a slight twist in it because I guess if you're just if you're just working along the same lines, then the puzzles have a chance of becoming quite familiar with the same solutions. Do you have to challenge how solutions kind of come to? in order so that it, you know, so you could have three different puzzles while they technically look completely different. The solution's pretty much the same. Do you have to continually say, well, actually, let's do this differently and let's do that differently to kind of keep things kind of shaken up and keeping things kind of interesting even for, like, yourself? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's not going to be fun if you're just doing the same thing over and over again. So I definitely mm. try to have a good variety in puzzles, especially within a game or even within one chapter of the game. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I don't really, I, you know, I try not to repeat certain mechanics too much or if a certain mechanic is uh, really similar, then, you know, I always have to figure out a way to put a twist on it to make it something different. And... I go through a lot of like, no, this isn't interesting enough. I need to change it. I need to make it better. It needs to be more interesting. Uh, so there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. <laughs> do you get, um, do you get other people involved in the process then? Do you run it by kind of, you mentioned, you know, there's people you're aware that are kind of enjoy escape rooms, enjoy puzzles and stuff like that. So do you have a set kind of peer group that you would even run them by and say, look, I'm not, sure about this what do you think or do you are you are you doing a lot your, yourself um, well i i often work on the story bits uh with my husband but uh -huh. in terms of the puzzles it's usually just me coming up with it and i'll have you know i'll have people test it but i try not to tell people too much about it or you know ask mm -hmm. their opinion before they test it because then it's going to be a spoiler um, but once people have tested it, then, you know, I'm often making changes past that test. So I'll usually be 
you know, running that idea past some people who have already tested it just to mm-hmm. be like, well, you thought this part was confusing. Do you think it would be better if I change the wording to this or if I change the image to look more like this? As you're developing the puzzles along, do you have you got stuff that's you're already planning kind of like your next kind of game? Are there, is there stuff that you have kind of went, oh, that's really good, but it's not suitable to the narrative, you, no matter how many times you try and fit it in. It just really doesn't suit the story. And even though it's absolutely fantastic, you've got to kind of like put it off to one side and park it and say, right, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be appearing in the next, in the next kind of story that we do. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of parked puzzles, <laughs> so mm. to speak. Um, again, I just have a giant Google Doc of things that I've sort of put aside ideas um, mm-hmm. that might, you know, come alive in a different game or a different version. Um, actually, in Emerald Flame, there were a bunch of puzzles that I wanted to incorporate, but they didn't end up making sense in the format of the game. And yeah. I plan to have some online puzzles go up throughout the campaign. And so some of those are using ideas that were kind of on the cutting room floor as I was making the game. Um, Mm -hmm. But so doing it for the Kickstarter was a really fun opportunity to be able to use those ideas, uh, but put them in a different format where it did make sense contextually. So is there technically going to be like an emerald flame to kind of flame harder? (laughs) (laughs) You know, or an Emerald Flame 7, the Tokyo Drift version. <laughs> no, no, but no. <laughs> Not, no. No sequels planned as of yet. Okay. Are you, is that what you're trying to do? You're trying to make kind of every every experience kind of unique? Because I've, I mean, probably the closest, no, not the closest version, but the closest version I've played to kind of like a, a, a pretty crunchy kind of thinky game was the Time, the Time Stories oh, yeah. series of games. Where, um, you know, there was so many different experiences, but they didn't kind of cross pollinate between each other. But they had a very kind of, you know, this was this kind of thing. Is I mean, is is that? Have you thought about kind of doing something along those lines, having like a base, a base system that then you can kind of bring in modules for kind of people to play around the same the same kind of base system? Then I have not thought about that. I think the games are pretty different i mean the emerald flame Mm. you could say is sort of like a spiritual successor to tale of war like they have they definitely have similarities in terms of like the thought process behind them um Mm -hmm. but i i think that i try to go pretty deep in designing these because you know unlike an unlock game which takes about 60 to 90 minutes these are a lot longer and there's a lot more exploration of like the story the characters the materials um and there's a lot more hours of gameplay so i feel like by the time i was done with the game i was like wow i've really exhausted you mm-hmm. know all the things that i feel like i can do with this and yeah. then the next thing is just going to be totally different so when somebody's playing the game i mean how how much how long is a session going to take? I mean, is this something that you can do in kind of bite-sized bite-sized chunks? Because one of the things, I mean, going back to my experience with Time, time Stories, and I've mentioned this before, is we played um, we played Time Stories, the first Asylum one, and um, we ended up playing it twice. 
And the reason that we ended up playing it twice was when the first time we finished up and we finished up not completing it, mm-hmm. we had taken all everything down in a notebook and we went, right, we're going to come back and we're going to own this asylum. And then when we came back, we'd forgotten to bring the notebook. So all of our notes and all of our kind of our insights and everything like that were kind of lost to eternity and we ended up kind of having to play play through it again. Um but for someone like yourself, I mean, is this something that if you, you know, if somebody was saying, well, how long is it going to take to play the Emerald Flame? I mean, are they needing, is it going to be like a bite-sized chapter by chapter? Is this going to be something that they're going to play through? Is it almost like a campaign kind of thing as it's, a plane? It's through? almost like a mini campaign, you could say. Uh, the Emerald Flame is three chapters and they're about mm-hmm. two to three hours per sitting, so... You can wow. you can definitely do one chapter in a sitting, but if if you want to do a little more bite size, um, I definitely know you know some people have done a chapter in two sittings and they'll just play for mm-hmm. like an hour hour and a half. Um, Tale of Word was significantly longer; it was four chapters and it was about three to four hours per sitting. Wow! Um, so that was definitely more like a campaign game, and I thought. I think that was harder to walk away from because there was a bit more happening with the narrative. And if you put it down and don't play it for a month, then there's some stuff that you might forget. Um, And Mm -hmm. I did include, like, there's a hint site that you can go to if you get stuck and need help on a puzzle. So I ended up including, like, little bits of plot summary, just like, in case you need a refresher, here's what <laughs> happened last time. Um, because cause I knew that there were people who were playing it really spaced out. And so yeah. that was a good way to kind of a reminder to, uh, as to what was happening. Um, but that was but that was one reason why I made the Emerald Flame a little bit shorter. Because I, I wanted people to be able to do one chapter in a sitting without feeling like it was too exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, especially if your kind of your your brain is, it's not like a nor. I mean, if I'm playing, you know, if I was playing viticulture, I know that I'm really only engaging my brain kind of twenty five percent of the time because the rest of the time everybody else is playing. Whereas in something like this, if you're all working together round round the table, I'm assuming that you're passing notes kind of back and forward. One of you, one of you is narrating. The kind of the game itself, um, while everybody else is kind of deciding what kind of what they want to do next, mm-hmm. does it um, does it support kind of solo play? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's yeah? it's yeah. I think it definitely works for a solo play. I, my, uh, I think the best number of people is maybe two or three, um, but mm-hmm. I recommend up to four. Definitely, groups right. of four have also had fun with it, and all the puzzles in each chapter are non-linear. So you can pretty much have several people solving different things at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's definitely no barrier to it being solo. It might take you a little bit longer because you're not dividing the work in the same way Mm -hmm. that you would be if you were playing with a group. Um, But yeah, I mean, I like to play these kinds of games by myself too. So So do you, I mean, in your normal day-to-day kind of goings-on job-job, are you are you doing something quite analytical and puzzly as well? I mean, are you still involved in the kind of the escape route scene on a day to day basis? Or are you doing something completely unrelated? And this is kind of like your escape project. <laughs> <laughs> from- um, 
Yeah, it's kind of my escape project. I mean, my my day job is uh, working at a carpet showroom. So I'm right. the office manager there and also the artist. So not exactly analytical, um, mm-hmm. but I do I do like all the graphics and stuff. So that's kind of related because, you know, it's creative and I have to make things. And I do the same thing for making games, but that's <laughs> that's probably the only connection. Um so I really just play a lot of escape rooms on the side. You just I just wondering if you've ever thought about kind of like when we're just gonna do this carpet and how do you design that? And then if we do this and if they look at it this way, then they'll get a clue. Kind of thing. You know, the funny thing is the very first escape room puzzle that I came up with actually was yeah. on a carpet. Was it? <laughs> Which is a total coincidence, but yeah. <laughs> Some kind of strange strange kind of fever dream. I've had enough of work all day, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna invent a puzzle. What's that gonna be? It's gonna be on a it's gonna be in a three inch high, thick, thick pile Axminster carpet kind of thing. <laughs> kind, of going, kind of going forward. Um there's I mean, there is I mean one of the things there is no escaping from is the kind of the situation. I know mm-hmm. it's a bad segue, but it's staying. Um You've had to postpone the kind of the campaign because originally you were going to go to Kickstarter a lot earlier in in the year. And I remember when we were first kind of organising this, it was kind of like, well, you were going to be doing it earlier in the year. Have you just decided to just? I just you just have to go in and jump jump on and and, and set the campaign live and kind of see see what happens because it does it doesn't appear that many things are going to change over the next kind of couple of months now. So you decide, well, we've got to do it now and just kind of, kind of see what happens and see what goes on. Um, pretty much. Well, my original plan was to launch at the end of April. So mm-hmm. in the end, I only ended up delaying it a month. But yeah. if I was going to do it in April, then I would have had to announce it in March. And mm-hmm. that's when everything was sort of blowing up and everything yeah. was totally uncertain. It was just kind of chaotic and like it wasn't clear what was going to happen or how Mm. bad it was going to be or how long it was going to last and you know everything was just in total flux and I feel like uh so I was at that point I was like well I'm gonna delay for now and we'll just see how things go and Mm. when it's going to be a better time um and I mean obviously I don't think this is the best time in the world but it seems like things have at least calm down to the point where they've sort of stabilized and at least we kind of know what's happening. Um, yeah. And so it was still a big decision, um, but it I, I was really worried that there wasn't going to be backing at this time, but it seems like yeah. a lot of projects are still doing pretty well and people are really enjoying, um, especially tabletop uh, games and puzzle games have seen to you know, seem to be really popular right now because people are at home and they need forms of entertainment and yeah. forms of escapism that way. So, yeah, so a certain point came and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go for it and see how it goes. What's it been like to market the game then? Have you, because one of the things that's pretty obvious is the lack of the ability for you to sit down and be able to demo the game to other people. So have you have you had to look at different ways of kind of marketing and getting the kind of the word out there before you even start with the the campaign itself? 
Well, to tell you the truth, it wouldn't have really been very different because it's kind of hard to demo puzzle games because once you've yeah. played part of it, you can't play it again. So mm. what I usually end up giving people like a different puzzle that might not necessarily be in the game. Um, yeah. And I post a lot of puzzles online too, So, which, I mean, to be fair, are a bit different in style sometimes, but um, but it gives you like a good variety tasting of what Poscurus puzzles might be like. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm also a very small publisher, so it's not like I would be getting a booth at a con or anything like that anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it's it's not really that different than it would have been because I'm just sort of describing things to people and showing them some things, but the element of surprise and all the fun is actually playing the puzzles. So I wouldn't really want to spoil that for anyone anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell us about, let, let's talk a little bit about the Emerald Flame itself because we've kind of skirted around it like we didn't want to give anybody any clues, but obviously we should really... Can I have a little bit of a chat about it? I I guess. <laughs> um, I don't know how you want to approach this. If you want to say, "Ah, oh, my <laughs> my first is in flame, but my second is an emerald." Um, but do you want to give us an idea of the kind of the background, the story, the kind of the aim of sure. the game itself? Yeah. Um. So the story revolves around an alchemist, and the player is being commissioned by a historical society to try and find the work of this alchemist and basically decipher the recipe for a mysterious legendary potion that the mm -hmm. alchemist was putting together and you're trying to put it together for these people who have commissioned you. Um, yeah, and the uh, so it happens, well, so there's sort of the current thing that's happening, you're getting mail from this organization, and then there's yeah. a story um, that you can read sort of through these old letters and all these alchemical diagrams that are meant to be like from around the 1400s. And so a lot of the inspiration for that was looking at tons of medieval manuscripts and mm -hmm. the Voynich manuscript. And the story happens in Prague, uh, which has a, a lot of history of alchemists working out of there. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Do you are you just manipulating the information? You're not damaging any any of the materials in there. So could you play it again if you wanted to, or are you kind of ripping stuff up and folding stuff? Because I played a I played a puzzle game um, a little while ago that was on Kickstarter for, um, and part of it you were folding stuff and you were lining stuff up and you were tearing things in half are you going to be doing that at all yeah kind of like a little bit um i i don't like l limiting puzzles to not being destructible uh because i think part of the fun of having physical objects is being able to manipulate them yeah um so there are a couple destructible components in the game and the game is going to come with a little refill kit, which will have one replace right. one replacement for those destructible components. Uh -huh. And then there are also some paper components that you do need to write on or or fold. Um, and I'll be providing 
PDFs of those so people can print them at home. And the things mm-hmm. that can't be printed are going to be in the refill kit. Um, but also the first stretch goal on the campaign is going to be to add some of those pages that do need to be folded or written on into the refill kit. So hopefully people will be able to get an extra one of those. Um, but it depends if we'll hit that goal or not. Mm-hmm. And what's the cost? What's the charge? How much does it cost to get into the fun house? <laughs> um, so the Kickstarter price is going to be 69 for the game. Uh, wow. Not 100% settled yet on what the retail price is going to be. And what do you, I mean, what do you get for that? Because if I guess if you look at Tale of Ord, that'll tell you. Because I've seen photographs of what was involved in that game and it was like a smorgasbord. <laughs> and I mean... <laughs> And I'm using that phrase, a smorgasbord of various bits of paper, there was boxes in there, there was counters, there was tables. I mean, is it a fairly, it sounds like it's a fairly hefty package that you're going to get? Um, It's not quite as hefty as Tale of Ward. And uh-huh. I mean, part of the reason is, like I said, Tale of Ward was handmade and that was mm-hmm. much, much, much more costly to produce. So um, the Emerald Flame is going to be manufactured overseas. And so I had to, you know, simplify certain elements uh, because I, I did want to lower the price point and make it uh, accessible to a much wider audience. Mm-hmm. So the components are going to be quite as... Uh, complex, but there are definitely physical components in there because otherwise there wouldn't really be a point in putting all of these things into a box. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but you you can see some pictures uh, up on Instagram. There's some teasers of some of the components in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How um, how easy or difficult has it been to get kind of like previews done for the game? Because I I know that a lot of I, I more and more I see when people are talking about you know is anybody interested in previewing our game what they do is they're talking about like a tabletop simulator version of the game so how easy has it been for you to engage with like media and get them to kind of look at the game write about the game create some content about it I haven't really tried to get previews in particular I reached out to a bunch of reviewers um, uh-huh. so I sent them physical copies to review uh, I think it would be a hard game to preview in a way because, you know, it's, you know, like you said, it's sort of playing a campaign. So you're not really getting mm. the whole thing unless you play through all of it. So yeah. it's hard to it's hard to kind of describe it unless you're seeing all of the sort of exciting moments in the game. And you might not be able to get quite the same level of of understanding and maybe fun of it if you don't uh, play through the entire thing. And yeah. also, you know, it's all it's all puzzles and it's full of spoilers. So there's only so much that you could really talk about if you were just doing a preview. Um, and, of course, it's also not really possible to get it into something like Tabletop Simulator because some of the components, it's just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, come across digitally in a way that made any sense or mm-hmm, or had mm-hmm. like the same effect that they would if you had it in your hands. Okay, okay. So the, the campaign's going to be running, you said from the 27th. Mm-hmm. So how long are you going to be running the campaign for? A month. A month, a full yep. month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. And it's $69 for the base game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I t- are you going to be charging shipping 
later on? Uh, yes. And there'll, there'll be uh, shipping estimates in the campaign. Oh, cool. Okay, excellent. Um, if people want to find out more about the game, about Post Curious in general, where do you guys exist on the internet webs? Sure. So uh, my website is getpostcurious.com. If you go mm-hmm. there, you can find links to pretty much everything. Um, on Twitter, I'm also Get Post Curious, and on Instagram, it's just Post Curious. And from all of those places, you can find the Kickstarter page. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. And what we'll do is we'll make sure that we um, we'll put all the links in the show notes so that we've got notes to show. Awesome. Um, I can only wish you best of luck with the campaign. Thank you so much. When it comes along. Um, I love, I kind of really like this genre. I kind of, I like the kind of the time stories type thing, even though I didn't get on with the first campaign. Oh yeah, but, we lost um, very badly in time stories. I just, I think, it was the whole, it was the whole. I didn't realize until it was too late that we really should have been keeping notes. Um, so when I, we came yeah. back to try it again, it was just like failed miserably. <laughs> no, it was, for me, it was that, there was that one thing in the opening scene that if it was like a, it was like a really, really bad murder mystery kind of show that you used to see on TV where they introduce kind of like this inconsequential character at the very, very beginning that you pay no mind to and then it turns out he's the cousin of the brother of the aunt of the duke that actually murdered everybody. You're just like going, all right, so that's it then. So that's how... But no, I kind of... I'm kind of... You definitely kind of piqued my interest with with the Emerald Flame. Um, For people who want to keep an eye on what we're up to, just go to the internet and search for We're Not Wizards. You'll find us in all the different... Worn out faces and worn out places just like me. Uh, we're not wizards.com for the podcast. We're not wizards.co.uk for the blog. You can find us on YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash we're not wizards tabletop podcast. If you like what you've listened to tonight, tell somebody else. If you like, if you, and you're going to know tons of people who are interested in puzzle games. So if you've listened to tonight and you say, oh, that's, that sounds like somebody's, I knows back then go and tell them about it for goodness sake and let's spread let's spread the bafflement and puzzlement where we can um there's only a couple more things to do the first thing is to remember that we're many things but we're not wizards are we wizards rita no i like that solid answer (laughs) i've been I think you've made getting, it clear. You've made it pretty clear. I've been getting messed words. about lifts. I'll be honest, I've been getting left messed about of late a little bit by other more unprofessional guests, I'll just say. Um, and the second thing is say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Rita Orloff. Say goodbye, Rita. Goodbye. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> That's all right. You're welcome. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, stay at home, roll sixes make something awful but until the next time goodbye a wizard is never linked
is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to. 